Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Well, I don't know if you knew it or not, um, but it's officially, I'm declaring it right now, it is officially cozy season. It's officially cozy season. We got away with um, a pretty mild fall, uh, but now, I don't know if you know, but it got kind of cold, and it is cozy season. Uh, some people call it sweater weather. That's a whole thing. Um, and this is the time of year where, this, like I said, the sweaters come out, the boots are in full force, uh, and we love that. We just want to feel cozy. Um, someone even once uh, knitted a sweater for my coffee mug which I think is the most ridiculous thing in the world, but also (laughs) kind of cool. And so that exists. It's sweater weather. Um, Don't get me started on fuzzy blankets. That's a whole thing. Uh, I don't know if you're into the fuzzy blankets. My parents' house uh, is absolutely obsessed with fuzzy blankets. I actually don't know where they live because I, I seriously think every other time I go to my parents' house for a visit. My mom brings out, look at this new fuzzy blanket I have. The dog has his own fuzzy blankets. It's a whole whole shenanigan situation there. Um, Even this week, this week being Thanksgiving week, like we're kind of chasing after this in this, in the cold of the weather outside, we're chasing after this like cozy warmth around like the Thanksgiving table. Um, And so, uh, it's, it's this whole Thanksgiving warmth, cozy, um, I'll put up a picture right here. This is probably what you're imagining when you think of like what this Thursday should look like. Um, we've all sort of seen that, and this is what we're chasing after. It's cozy season. And some of it's a little bit practical, right? So even the ridiculous like sweater with the little arms for my coffee mug um, who doesn't have arms it's still a little bit practical because I like my coffee hot, but like not on my hand, right? We don't, that, so we want to have that little bit of distance between the hot coffee and my hand. Uh, fuzzy blankets are a little bit practical. The abundance even of them, if you have one on every single cushion, no matter where you are in the house, if a cool breeze blows by, you can just grab that thing and, mm, isn't that nice? And so, we like this, even the absurdity of it. Like, we like this. We chase this sort of thing. We want to feel cozy. This morning, though, I want to offer a warning. A warning for cozy season is that while it's all so good and we love it so much, that there's a danger, actually, in chasing it too hard. Um, that we can, cozy season can trick us into thinking that that's what it's about. That um, we're chasing, we're going from island of cozy to island of cozy, from this cushion with the fuzzy blanket to that cushion of the fuzzy blanket, and we just bounce from cozy to cozy to cozy, and we trick ourselves into thinking that all the unpleasantness of maybe the weather and the unpleasantness of life should be avoided. We, we should avoid that. Like, if we can just cozy up, then we're all good. Um, it can trick us into think thinking that we should always avoid those things and even to 
forget that weariness exists in the world. Um, I want to come back to this painting, actually, right here. You've probably seen this painting. Even if you don't quite know what it is, you're like, somehow, when I picture Thanksgiving, this is it. Uh, and I don't know why. Um, this is a painting by Norman Rockwell. Um, and I don't know if you uh, knew this, but it's actually, it has a title. <laughs> Most paintings do. Uh, it's called Freedom from Want. Um, and it was actually commissioned during World War II. It was a commission as a part of a series of four different freedoms, and so this is just one out of four. And this one's called Freedom from Want. Uh, it was published in 1943 um, as a sort of like war propaganda. So we're like right in the middle of this big war, um, and it was meant to be this like morale booster. Um, because there's a lot that can be said about the painting, about uh, World War II, but even just on the, on the base level, the, the surface level, um, in the, on the home front during World War II, there were, there were rations. Um, there were certain products, things that you could only get some, you couldn't just hoard it. You had to have like a ticket system for certain things. And so while it wasn't quite like Great Depression style, um, there was a real sense during World War II at, on the home front here in America that like we're kind of just scraping by. Like we're, there's not a lot of indulgence happening. We're just scraping by. We're we're just doing what we need, so that like we can support the war effort. And as time goes on, like that really drags. Um, and so there was a real sense of going without. Um, and so this painting pops up in the Saturday Evening Post in 1943. Is kind of a we can do this sort of a thing. Like even though right now we're we're going without. If we play our cards right, if we just keep it up, like we can get back to this. And isn't this what we want? And ah, you're right, we can do this. Um, and so you can understand that. That makes a lot of sense, um, given that context at home. However, it didn't just go here in America. It went to like soldiers overseas. Um, and globally, in the global context, this painting was actually not very well received. Because if you zoom out, why are we fighting this war to begin with? And you start to imagine the atrocities that are happening at, at the hand of the German people, uh, the German nation to like, eradicate human people groups, um, to create a better society for themselves. And this comes up, and some of the globe sees it and goes, really? Like, we're, we're dying here. And you're fighting for a turkey? Like, it's a little bit gross if you put it, like, in that context. And so it wasn't very well received. And this morning, I want to say the same to us. That if we're not careful, while all the cozy things are so good, there's nothing wrong with them. If we're not careful, all the good things that we chase after can cause us to forget what's really going on, um, and the context that we find ourselves in. And so, from one table, Thanksgiving table, to another, we're actually going to find this morning Jesus at a table of his own, um, a very different kind of table, and he was ridiculed um, for being where he was. But perhaps this table that we're going to read about is actually the better table than the Norman Rockwell painting that we should be chasing after this holiday season. So, come with me to Matthew chapter 9. 
Passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew, which, by the way, is super cute because we're reading from the book of Matthew, and so Matthew's writing this, and he goes, his name was Matthew. So anyway, I just had to say that. (laughs) His name was Matthew. And Jesus said, come along with me. And Matthew stood up and followed him. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. And when the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit, and they lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher, acting cozy with crooks and misfits? Jesus, overhearing, shot back, Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go and figure out what this scripture means, and then quoting from the Old Testament, I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. And so we read this short snippet of a story from the book of Matthew. Matthew is uh, Matthew's account of the life and the ministry of Jesus, and it's one of the four different Gospels, the four different accounts of Jesus' ministry that we have. Um, and the reason we have like four different ones, um, while they, it's all the same time span, the same subject, each one has a little bit of a different emphasis. The author, the writer, um, has a different kind of focus that he wants to, 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 for us to see. And so for Matthew's gospel, part of the, the focus and all the stories that he weaves together about Jesus' ministry, um, what he wants us to see is that Jesus is the guy. So in, in, the, in a Jewish context, and the awaited Messiah, this is him. And so the whole book, he wants to prove it. This is the guy. He even starts with this whole genealogy, just like this family tree, name, 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 to go, look, if you just follow the whole thing, look, like he like fits the family line prophecies of the Old Testament, and he's the guy we've been waiting for. From Genesis and the very good world that was disrupted and broken when heaven and earth were one, Jesus is the guy who has the authority to reunite those things once again, and he's here. He's come. This is the guy. He's come to reunite heaven and earth in all aspects of reality, physically, relationally, for everyone, including someone like him, someone like Matthew. Because Matthew was a Jewish tax collector, And he was reviled. He was considered a traitor uh, by his own people, taking the side, essentially, of the oppressive Roman government that was occupying this Jewish land, uh, and essentially complicit in robbing his own people with the unfair taxes um, by collecting them. And so he was kind of hated amongst his people. He was used to being spat on, maybe, uh, walked away from, ignored, eyes rolling. Like, this is his life. And even though maybe he's benefiting from the monetary situation he's in, like, his life wasn't probably all that spectacular relationally with his people. But in the middle of his work one day, of his, his dirty work that he's doing, And all the people that are just disgusted to have to be in his line, just like maybe we would be standing in line at the BMV, take your ticket, nobody wants to be there. Jesus passes by. And rather than getting an eye roll or maybe an eye avoidance situation, 
Jesus, who has this heaven and earth authority, they lock eyes. Their eyes meet. And with that authority, Jesus says, come follow me. And so Matthew does. He gets up and he follows Jesus. And then Matthew and the other disreputable characters <laughs> that are at the dinner table later, they're having dinner, Jesus is with them, and the religious leaders notice, and they're like, ooh, this isn't right. And I love the way they accuse Jesus. They say, what kind of example is this? You're acting cozy with crooks and misfits. This is not how cozy season works. We like it to be cold, but do we really, though? Because the whole point is actually to get away from the cold. And here we have Jesus right in the middle of the discomfort and enjoying it. That's not how cozy season works, Jesus. This is not how cozy works. You're, you're not separating yourself. You're acting cozy in the middle of the discomfort. You see, the religious leaders were cozy with the way that things were. And Jesus was messing it up. They separated themselves. They insulated themselves with their rules-based righteousness, their impressive social standing, separating themselves socially from the gross world around them. But Jesus is sitting right in the middle of it because separating from something doesn't actually change anything. Our fuzzy blankets don't change the weather. The religious leaders' rules didn't change the situations of the people around them. But Jesus came to change things. And we can be hard on the religious leaders, um, but if I'm honest, I do this too. I do this. Uh, I like to go to coffee shops to, to work uh, if I need to focus or... Um, maybe I'm meeting with somebody, why not meet and have a cup of coffee uh, along with it? And so when I go and I'm scoping out a table, inevitably I'll find a spot that I think is good and then somebody next to me will just start jabbering and talking real loud and my spot is no longer great anymore. And so my first instinct is to uh, I pick my stuff up and I find another location. Done. Way better, right? Or maybe you can relate to this. Um, on an airplane. Inevitably, I'll find myself sitting next to some other sweaty human that I don't really want to interact with. And so the headphones come out, and ah, that's better. Now, my seat is not actually any better. I can still smell the person's BO next to me. My legroom's still the same, but I feel better about it because now at least I don't have to interact with that person. The person at the coffee shop is still talking just as loudly over there, but I feel better about it because I'm over here. And so is my peace and my quiet, is that hurting anyone? No. But just because I distance myself from others doesn't change the reality around me. I'm just better at ignoring it. And when we're only chasing better for ourselves... It's the one who needs better in their life who actually pays the price. Because I don't know the story of the sweaty human next to me. Maybe they're sweaty, I don't know, you make up a story. 
they're on their way to see a sick family member, and maybe they were almost late to their plane, and I am feel better in my headphones because I don't have to interact with them, but what if I did, and how much of a comfort could I be to that person? When we're only chasing better for ourselves, often it's the one who needs better who pays the price. As I mentioned earlier, the Rockwell painting that we, that we looked at, um, Freedom from Want, was painted in 1943. Well, here's something cool. In 2017, the Norman Rockwell Museum actually commissioned a new reimagining of the, this collection. Remember that the, the Thanksgiving table was just one of four. They, they made a call out to artists in the nation, and a thousand different paintings came in, um, and they selected, hand-selected, 36 different paintings that reimagined the different um, uh, freedoms, the four freedoms. Uh, and they were put on display at the Norman Rockwell Museum called Reimagining the Four Freedoms. And one of the reimaginings that caught my eye as I saw this is by an artist named Chris Hopkins. Um, and he did, it, he did his painting in the same style of oil on wood, just like Norman Rockwell did. And he titled his work, Freedom from Want. And so here it is. This is supposed to represent the same thing that the, the dinner table did. And while the subject of this work is clearly homelessness, the artist says, the ever-present image of homelessness represents a longing for an array of basic needs. And I think when we look at this painting, I think we're intended to see ourselves in it a little bit. Maybe having just moved from one table next to the loud person to another, abundance just within arm's reach, distracted by our phones, and really, really good at not noticing the need just outside the glass. The religious leaders in Matthew 9 were living their life, separating themselves from others by their impressive rule following. But the outsiders and the misfits weren't any better because of it. They were just ignored. And if we're not careful when we're only chasing better for ourselves, it's still the outsider who pays the price. And it happens here at church, too. Um, we love to come and to find a familiar face and uh, share a story or uh, catch up on life and feel connected while we come here. And that's wonderful. We should so do that because that's part of what this gathering is for. But if that's all we do when we come to this space in this room, then our cozy huddles with one another make it really hard for someone who's desperate for connection to break through. We find ourselves on the inside of the coffee shop and someone who wants to get connected walks away disappointed. And I can tell you that this fall 
here at Covenant Church, there have been multiple families that have left. They've left. And they've said things like, it felt too easy to slip in and slip out, and nobody seemed to notice. Or nobody talked to us. And I'm not talking about first-time guests or second-time guests. These people, these individuals, these couples, families, they've been coming for months. And in some cases, years. And I say this not to, to shame us all, but to, to recognize that it takes all of us, and there's work to be done. Because just as those stories exist, there's just as many stories of radical connection of people um, who came looking and found it and were embraced. Those stories exist too. But it takes all of us to reach everyone. And like the religious leaders, it's easy, it's just easy to find ourselves simply chasing better for ourselves. But in Matthew 9 with Jesus around the table of misfits, there was something truly better. We chase better for ourselves, but Jesus shows us at this table there's something that's really, really better. Jesus was doing what he came to do at that table. He says it right there. He says, this is why I've come. I've come to welcome outsiders, to invite outsiders. And so at that table, the ashamed, the ignored, they found themselves not on the outside looking in, but they were invited and had a seat with their name on it and welcomed in. And I know that's what the covenant community is about. I know it because that's my experience. I experienced that when Jenny and I, my wife, were here for the first time looking for connection, new to the city. I could tell you story after story, and I can vividly picture the dining room tables, the meals that were shared with some of you, just because we were approached and said, what are your lunch plans? And we got connected. And that's how it worked. And that's who Covenant is. And I think maybe that's the reminder that we need. Again, my point here is not do better, but to remind us, like I was reminded when thinking about this, that that was me. And that we are all, at one time, we are the ones on the outside looking in. We're the ones separated, without hope. But the Heavenly Father stoops down low, and we hear his voice, and he calls us children. And so why would we not extend that invitation to others? I found this story um, of one child in Massachusetts, um, and it really reminded me of what it's like to be that child, to be a child in need, and it reminded me of what it can look like when a community rallies to really see that child, not just notice that they're there, but to really see that child. And so I want to share it with us here today. Let's check it out. At the far end of Islington Road in Newton, Massachusetts, lives a little girl near and dear to the neighborhood. Two-year-old Samantha Savitz is deaf. But boy, does she love to talk to anyone who knows sign language. Her parents, Raphael and Glenda. Yeah, she's super engaging. She wants to, you know, chat up with anybody. Yeah, her whole personality changes when it's someone who can communicate with her. Likewise, if someone can't, well, that makes Sam just a little sad. 
Her desire for engagement has been painfully obvious to everyone in the neighborhood. Whenever they see her on a walker in her yard and Sam tries to be neighborly, they find themselves at a frustrating loss for words. This isn't something you can solve with a casserole. You'd need the whole community to learn sign language, just for a little two-year-old girl. Can't expect neighbors to do that. You can only appreciate them when they do. On their own, Sam's neighbors got together, hired an instructor, and are now fully immersed in an American Sign Language class. The teacher, Reese McGovern, says this is remarkable because a lot of times even the parents of deaf children don't bother to learn sign language. But here, Sam has a full community that's signing and communicating with her and her family, and it is a beautiful story. And he says this level of inclusion will almost certainly guarantee a happier, more well-adjusted Sam, which is why her parents say there aren't words in any language to express their gratitude. It's, yeah, it's, it's really shocking and beautiful. They say they're already seeing a difference in their daughter. Um, I love the look of the parents when I see this video. They just want what's best for their little girl. And they want others to see their girl with the same amount of love that they have for her. And as a dad of an almost two-year-old myself, I just want what's best for my little guy. I want others to see him with the same love that I have for him. And so when we're going through our lives in the familiar spaces that we find ourselves, maybe even the familiar faces that we see, do we mostly just see annoyances or obstacles? Do we see them at all? Because I know that the Heavenly Father sees his children. And he just wants what's best for them and he wants us to see them with the same love that he has for them. And we were all once those children on the outside. But now that the Father has opened his arms to us and included us as his children, now that we are in the family of God, now we have a choice. We can either get cozy or open up our arms to embrace more children into the family. And that's not to say that we need to be God, because God's doing the work, right? Jesus is already doing the work. He's creating these opportunities, and he invites us to be a part of them. Come with me back to the streets of Capernaum. Just wait, because this is super cool. So we're going to go back to the same exact scripture that we read. And before the dinner table is set, before the guests arrive, Check out how the scene unfolds. Matthew 9, again. Passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Jesus said, come along with me. And Jesus stood up and followed him. Sorry, Matthew stood up and followed him. And later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. Did you see it? Did you see what happened? Where are they having dinner? Where are they? They're eating at Matthew's house. 
Matthew goes, in the matter of one verse, from outsider, reviled, invited in to be an insider, and then to his table full of outsiders. He goes from outsider to insider and an inviter. Because of Jesus, not only is Matthew invited, but he gets swept up into the work that Jesus is already doing and then opens his home to extend that invitation to others. Covenant, we've been invited to extend the invitation because the counterintuitive thing is that that's where real life is found. We think we have to chase better in our lives, but Jesus is here to remind us that he is the better. Jesus is the better way, and that making room for others is what we were made for. Jesus says, this is why I came. This is what it looks like to reunite heaven and earth again. And the picture that we get is a dinner table full of outsiders, not a fuzzy blanket. John 20. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to his followers, and he says, Peace to you. Just as the Father sent me, I send you. The Father is seeking his children, and just as Jesus came to accomplish that work, Jesus says, now I send you. Jesus is bringing the restoration of heaven on earth. He's hosting the party, and then he hands us the invitations to give away. Jesus hands us the invitations. And so your question today is, who are you inviting? Who are you inviting? This holiday season, full of invitational opportunities, what are your invitational opportunities? When it's easier to separate, where are you going to lean in? This week, my sister is going to bring her boyfriend to our Thanksgiving meal, our family Thanksgiving. And so while all my older brother instincts kick in, I have a choice to make. I can just be polite and keep him at arm's length, or we can lean in and we can make him feel like he is a part of the family even right now and include him in the memories that we're going to share. Who doesn't feel like they fit in uh, at your work or at school? Is there something you could do to lean in and change that? Is there a neighbor that you might check in on during the holiday season, a time where it can be a little bit lonely? Have a conversation. Let them know that you see them, that they're not ignored. Tonight, church is hosting the Global Connections Thanksgiving dinner. You could just show up. A lot of you are already helping, and that's super cool. You could just show up tonight, and maybe that's your first step of leaning in you can just join a table and surround international students with community. Lean in. But we don't have to look far. We have guests here every single week in this room. I tell the Connect team often that every Sunday, somebody's first Sunday. Somebody here is going to take this invitation when they leave here, and they're going to give it to a neighbor or a coworker. That's going to happen. And so our challenge is when they come, do we see them? Do we see those people? Are we looking? Even if it's not the person you invited, do you see somebody else's invitation? And what could you do to lean in?
and welcome them in. And even though you'll hear us continue to tell our guests, you're welcome to stay anonymous as long as you'd like. While that's true for them, what I don't want you to hear is, uh, well, I don't want to bother them. What you should hear when you hear you can stay anonymous as long as you like, you should hear that as a challenge and think to yourself, hmm, I'd like to see them try. Covenant, this holiday season, as we enjoy our peppermint mochas and our fuzzy blankets and lights at the zoo, let's not just get cozy. Enjoy those things. But let's not just get cozy this holiday season. Let's invite others in. Because we are a people who were invited to experience the kingdom life and then handed a bundle of invitations so that others might find their home at the feet of Jesus right alongside us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for welcoming us in, for making us a part of the family, for adopting us as your children. Not because we're lovey, love, lovely or lovable, Lord, but because you are love. Thank you that you are our Father, and would you help us to see your children today, this week? this holiday season, would you help us to join you in what you're already doing? Remind us that we're your children and help us to see the children around us in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon for our live Sunday service at 9.30, 11 a.m. or 11 a.m. online. Thanks for listening.